morning. Uh, this season that we are currently in is a very special one for our church and our congregation. Last week, we started membership classes, and we have a great group of highly interested and engaged believers seeking to become a member of a church. Today, we are ordaining two men into the office of deacon. Next week, we are baptizing five infants. One of them is Edwin, and that's his third. But five infants we will be baptizing next week. And the following week, Pastor Walton, who was ordained just a few months ago, will be ministering the Lord's Supper for the very first time. This season that we are currently in is a very exciting time for us. Now, with all this going on at the church, I think it's a good time to hear once again what God has to say about the church. During this busy time in the life of the church, I think it's only right that we now turn our attention to what God says about the church. So, for the next four weeks, what we will be doing is we'll be looking at Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 to 20 that we've read, and we'll be looking at this passage along with some other passages in the New Testament, and we will be exploring three things with respect to the church. So if we can look at the next slide, these are the next three things that we will be uh, looking at. If you can click to the next slide. These are the three things. We'll be looking at the builder. In other words, we'll be asking who is the builder of the church. Uh, next, we'll be looking at the building in terms of what is the building? What is this church that Jesus is building? And finally, the third thing is what is the business? What is the business of the church? What is the mission, the goal, the purpose of the church? And for today, what we will do is we will explore the first topic, the builder. Who is the builder of the church? And I'd like to ask these two questions this morning. Number one, who is the builder and can we trust him? Who is the builder and can we trust him? Right? I'm sure any of you guys, if you go on and you buy a home, this is the first question that you ask. Who built this home, and can I trust that builder? If you buy a car, that's the same thing you ask. Who is the manufacturer, and can I trust it? If you buy any product, can I trust, who, who built this product, and can I trust it? And these are the questions that I want to explore this morning. Who is the builder of the church, and can we trust him? So first, who is the builder of the church? Friends, who is the builder of the church? It's not a rhetorical question. You can answer. Who is it? It's Jesus. Yes, yes. Today's a very joyous day, so let's be a little Baptist, okay? Let's be a little celebratory. Yeah, who is the builder of the church? It is Jesus. It is Christ. He is the one who builds the church, and he makes this clear in verse 18 of today's passage. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, most of us, I think we know this. I think we would agree with this. However, we must not stop here. Even though we can rightly identify Jesus as the builder of the church, we must also move on to understand who he is, or else the church is in a lot of trouble. It's a lot like relationships in life. We all can identify the people 
that we are in relationship with. If I were to ask you, can you point to your friend? You can point to your friend. If I were to ask you, can you point to your parents? You can point to your parents. If I ask you, can you point to your spouse? You can rightly identify your spouse. We have no trouble doing that. But if I were to go on and then ask you, can you tell me something about your husband? Can you tell me something about your children? Can you tell me something about your friend? And if you can't answer, or if you say something that is totally off, that relationship is in trouble. And that is what I would like to explore today. Yes, we all know that Jesus is the builder of the church, but who is this Jesus? Who is this Christ? Today's passage begins with Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And the disciples reply, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Other people say that you're Jeremiah. And other people say that you are one of the prophets. Now, in a vacuum, this is really high praise. These men that are mentioned here, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, the prophets, these are great men in the history of Israel. And they did some amazing things. You know, I'm sure there are people in your industry that you would like to be compared to, that you would like to be mentioned alongside of. For a Jew to be mentioned in the same breath as these men is nothing but high praise. But you know, Jesus is not some random Jew. Even though the people are saying some really, really good things about Jesus, they have misunderstood him. They have mischaracterized him and they have undervalued him. For example, you don't sit in a Yo-Yo Ma concert and watch him brilliantly play the cello, and then after the concert, you don't go up to him and say, you're all right, you're okay. You don't stand in front of a Monet and just shrug, that's nice. You don't watch a basketball player like LeBron James and say, ah, he's good. You see, that is exactly what's going on in today's passage. To say that Jesus is John the Baptist, to say that Jesus is Elijah, to say that Jesus is some other prophet, even though it might be high praise for some, is actually an insult to Jesus. The people have mischaracterized Jesus. They have undervalued Jesus. So who is Jesus? Who is he? Well, Jesus asks Peter again, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter calls Jesus the Christ. And in calling Jesus the Christ, he's saying that Jesus, you are God's chosen. You are God's anointed Savior. And when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God, this is most likely in reference to Jesus' deity. Peter is saying, Jesus, you are not just any servant. You are not just a servant, but you are a son. You are the son of the living God. This is Peter's confession. See, this is much different, so much different than just the prophet. Jesus isn't just one of the prophets. He is the Christ. He isn't one of the many representatives of God on earth. 
He is God himself. Jesus isn't just a mouthpiece for God. He is the Logos. He is the eternal word who created all things. And Jesus says, after Peter confesses this, he says, yes. And it's precisely on that confession that I will build my church. Look what he says in today's passage. If you can turn your attention to verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In other words, Jesus is saying on that rock, on that confession, this confession that rightly understands Jesus for who he is, Jesus is saying on that confession, I will build my church. You know, to say that Jesus is a prophet is not enough. It's an insult. And if the church ever characterizes Jesus as anything less than God, if the church ever characterizes Jesus as anything less than Savior, boy, we are in big, big trouble. It was about well over 50 years ago. About 50 years ago, the Church of America was at a crossroads. There was a growing number of people, especially leaders and clergymen in the churches of America, saying that we need to quickly adapt and change. There were many people in the church who said, you know what, we need to adapt the modern scientific worldview of our time. They said, we need to abandon the teachings that were scientifically unverifiable. There were many people in the church who cried out saying, we need to abandon teachings like, like the teaching that Jesus is God. We need to stop saying that Jesus rose again from the dead physically. We can't teach anymore that Jesus saves us from our sins. Who is going to believe that? If we continue to teach this in today's scientific world, no one is going to come to church. Essentially, it was a cry from within the clergymen to abandon the Bible, to abandon who Jesus really was, and to water it down enough so that people would continue to believe. They reasoned, if we present Jesus not as a threatening figure, but if we present Jesus as a good moral teacher who showed lots of sacrifice, if we do that, the church will not become an artifact. However, there were others who insisted. People on the other side of the camp said, no, we cannot change the Bible. We cannot modify and adapt Jesus according to the culture and the worldview of the time. There were many who insisted the church is built on the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we abandon this, we have nothing less. And so during this time, there was a split in the church in America. The churches who decided to adapt and take on this modern scientific worldview, they were called the mainline churches, or they were called liberal churches. And those who insisted on teaching the Bible, the whole counsel of God, they were called conservative churches and evangelical churches. And there was the split, and it continued on and on. You know what happened? According to the Pew Research Center, who publishes 
uh, data on religion and public life in America. They are now consistently reporting that the mainline liberal churches have been in decline, close to a million members a year. While these backward, conservative, evangelical churches that believe that Jesus is the Christ, that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, these churches are growing steadily every year. You know, this was puzzle puzzling to people at first. The public said, how do you make sense of this? Why would people continue to insist and believe that Jesus physically rose again from the dead? How can people talk about a Savior who saves us from our sins? And they were puzzled by this. But people began to respond. They said, if Jesus is, just, if Jesus is only just a good teacher, they said, there is no need for the church. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope. If Jesus doesn't save us from our sins, we are in despair. And as Jesus teaches, if we lose this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, there is no church on which to build. The church is built on the confession that Jesus is the Savior and the Son of the living God. Now, we in here, in this room, we must be careful because some of us can sit here and we can be proud. We can be proud evangelicals. Even better, we can be proud Presbyterians, right? We can say, you know what? Our church, my faith, we've held fast to the right confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And we can sit here with our arms folded saying, we did the right thing. But we have to be careful because friends, it is all too easy to have a low view of Jesus, especially in the context of the church. I want to insist and instruct you this morning that if Jesus is ever anything other than head of the church, if Jesus is anything other than master of the church, if Jesus is anything other than Savior and Lord of the church, there is no church upon which Jesus builds. The church is founded and rooted upon this confession. We have to be careful as a church that we don't relegate Jesus, that we don't just make Jesus a visitor. We know what that's like. When we gather together as a church and we make all the decisions, but Jesus, you're only a visitor, so you have no say in what we do as a church. We have to be careful that we don't relegate Jesus. We have to be careful as a church that we don't say, you know what, Jesus, I know you're saying this, I know you're commanding this, but you know, we like to do it this way. Jesus, our people, our church, this has always been a part of our tradition and our history. We don't like what you say here. Jesus, you tell us to love one another as you have loved us. You tell us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. You tell us to serve one another as you have served us. But you know what, Jesus? We're not ready for that. We're not that kind of a church. We're not the kind of a church that spreads our arms out. No, if you want to be a part of our church, you have to come to us. See, once we start thinking like that, 
And once we start insisting in our way, Jesus is no longer head and master of the church. He's no longer builder of the church. You know, I've sat in many church meetings, and I've been a part of a number of churches where from time to time I seriously questioned, is Jesus the head of this church? Is Jesus really Lord and master over this church? I've sat in meetings before, and one of the topics was, should we do missions? Should we do missions? And you know, I was there shaking my head thinking, what do you mean, should we? Jesus commands us to go. Our question should be, how should we do missions? Not should we. And I'm not condemning those people because I was no better. I just stood there or I just sat there by myself and I didn't say a single word. We as a church, we must be careful that as we stand on this confession that Jesus is our Savior. He's the Savior of our sins. He is the Savior of our souls and He is the Son of the living God. We must be careful not to relegate Jesus to a lower position than He is. See, that's exactly what the people were doing in Jesus' day. You are just one of the many prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And as this confession was revealed to Peter that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus then says, I will build my church. So Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the builder of the church. I've said this on many occasions, but we must be careful as a church. We must not reduce Jesus to the level of consultant. We must not reduce Jesus to the level of teacher. We must not reduce Jesus to the level of good example. Jesus is Lord. He is master. He is king over the church. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we must rightly understand this. You know, a lot of relationship issues stem from this, right? If you think about a lot of the relationship issues that you are in, what, what does it stem from? It stems from a misunderstanding of the other person. It stems from a misrepresentation of the other person, right? And it stems from an undervaluing of the other person, right? If you were walking down the street one day with your spouse, and I, and I were to ask you, oh, who is she? Who is he? And if you said, well, She's just a roommate. Chances are you're not going to have a room anymore. <laughs> I mean, if you had a best friend, a close friend, and someone asked that friend about you, oh, who is, who is he? And if that person just said, just someone I know, or just someone I used to know, you know how hurtful and painful that is. See, a lot of the relationship issues that we face in life is this underestimating, this undervaluing, this misrepresentation, this, this misunderstanding of who that person is. And a lot of the struggles that we have within the church is because we have not rightly understood who Jesus is as Lord and Master. We must rightly understand that Jesus is Lord of the church, that He is our Savior. We must understand this. This is the confession on which Jesus built his church. And quickly, we must move on now to the second question. 
Can we trust Jesus? Can we trust that Jesus will build his church? And of course, the answer is yes. Let me draw your attention to verse 18 once again. Jesus says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus states emphatically here that he will build his church. There are no conditions. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus says, I will build my church possessive. I will build my church. And if that was not enough, Jesus says this, the gates of hell will not prevail against this church that I build. In other words, Jesus says, because I build my church, it is going to be like me, invincible. Because I build my church, it is going to be like me, indestructible. Jesus says, death will not prevail against the church. Sin will not overcome the church. Human weaknesses and frailties will not spoil the church. Jesus says today, that he will build his church and his beautiful bride will stand. The church will be built. I don't know about you, but for me, this is very, very reassuring. This is so comforting. Because sometimes I look at the condition of the church and I wonder, what is gonna become of the church? Sometimes I look at the messiness of church, and I look at the ugliness of church, and I sign. <sighs> what is going to become of the church? And certainly I don't separate myself from that. I don't isolate myself from that. As a pastor, I think about my weaknesses, my inabilities, my mistakes. For this congregation, I think about the weaknesses of our leaders. I think about the weaknesses of our deacons. And there are many, as you know. I can think about that all day. What is going to become of the church with these weaknesses, these inabilities, all this messiness and ugliness? And maybe you think that. As you consider yourselves an outsider, as you look upon the church, you think, oh my gosh, that's so messed up. But our Lord reassures us this morning. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, I don't want you to misunderstand here. When Jesus says that he will build his church, he is not talking about an organization. He is not talking about a physical building. Some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, you know what, I don't care if Jesus builds the church or not. Well, I want you to know that Jesus is not talking about a denomination. He is not talking about an organization. In fact, he's not even talking about Yongsheng Presbyterian Church as a nonprofit org. When he says, I will build my church, when he speaks of the church, he is talking about us. He is talking about you, and he is talking about me. He is talking about everyone in this room. He's saying, I will build you, and you, and you. 
He's saying that we, the church, he will build, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is committing himself to us, his people, promising to finish the work that he has begun in us. He is saying that nothing will ever separate us from him. He is saying that neither death nor life. He is saying that even angels or rulers or things present or things to come. He is saying that the powers and the principalities of this world. He is saying that everything in this creation, nothing, height or depth, would be able to separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is saying, I will build my church. I will build you and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done like one of those renovation projects. Have you ever hired out a contractor um, and renovated something in your home? Have you ever done your kitchen or your bathroom? If you think about these renovation projects, right, while this renovation project is ongoing, you know, you, you stumble upon that bathroom or you stumble upon that kitchen and you sort of think to yourself, Oh my goodness, what is this going to become? You see the messiness around, you see all the broken pieces, you see the dust everywhere. You see the plastic covering the furniture and you wonder, oh my goodness, how is this going to turn into the IKEA showroom that I was dreaming of? How is this ever going to become this picture that the builder showed me? But you know, if you have the right contractor, if you have the right builder, he will get it done. He will transform it, he will clean it, he will make it beautiful. See, this is what Jesus does for the church. This is what he does for you and for me. Yes, we have messiness in our lives, we have ugliness in our community, we have regrets and mistakes of the past that are following us around even till this day. But Jesus assures us this morning that he will continue to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that reassuring? Isn't that comforting for us? I think it is. You know, because sometimes, you know, I, I get timid. I get scared. And I'm sure the leadership could, could understand. We have the session members here. We have our senior pastor here. And I'm sure we could sometimes become scared and timid and worried and fearful, wondering, would this decision break the church? Would this decision hurt the church? Would this decision bring messiness and more ugliness. And you know, we tend to be timid. We tend to wonder, oh my goodness, can I do this? But Jesus tells us this morning that he is building his church. And with that, I just want to leave you just two things, two practical points of application before we close. Friends, I think we have to be careful, all of us sitting here, today's a very special day, it's ordination Sunday, but we have, to be, we, we have to be careful that we don't get confused. We are not the builders of the church. We are not the builders of the church. The two men who are sitting here ready to become ordained as deacons, we are not called to build, but we are called to serve. 
We are called to water. We are called to tend. We are called to serve. And it's God who builds. It's God who causes it to grow. We must not become confused thinking that we are the builder, we are the head, and that Jesus is just a visitor. Jesus is Lord of the church. The second point of application that I want to just leave you with here today is today's passage, and as we'll continue to explore in the weeks to come, the church and Christ are inseparable. Jesus and the church, you cannot break this apart. You cannot have one without the other. If you have Christ, you must have the church. You know, fairly recently, a few years ago, there was this viral video and this movement among young Christians. And this movement was summarized something like this. They said, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. I can have Jesus, but not the church. And you know, this became very, very popular, especially among young Christians. Yeah, I want Jesus, but not the church. You know, those who insist on that and those who hold to those views, you know, they're in for a rude awakening because you know how the Bible ends? You know how all of history ends? It ends with a beautiful wedding between Jesus and his church. See, these two things are inseparable. The church and Jesus, you cannot separate the two. You cannot have one without the other. And for many of you here, if you have a very low view of the church, if you think very low of the church, I wonder, is it not because we have a low view of its builder, Jesus? Don't ever in your mind separate the two. If you think of one, think of the other. If you think of Jesus, his beauty and his splendor, think of the church and its beauty its splendor. If you're obsessed with the church for all the good and the bad, be more obsessed with Jesus. Every time you think about one, think about the other. Don't talk about the church without talking about Jesus. And don't talk about Jesus without talking about the church. These two things are inseparable. The beauty and the glory that you see Christ with is also the beauty and the glory that you ought to see the church with. We ought to see these two things as inseparable. And for those of you who don't agree, those of you who might be thinking, you know what, you know what you've done earlier before this worship, before this sermon began? You know what you just did? You recited the Apostles' Creed. And yes, you said, I believe in God. I believe in Christ who was crucified and raised from the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in all these things. But you know what you also said? We also confessed, I believe in the church. I believe in the holy Catholic or the holy universal, the holy Christian church. We believe in the church because we believe in Christ. May we rejoice this morning as Christ now calls us to place our confidence in him as the builder as he reassures us this morning that the gates of hell will not prevail against him. Join me in prayer.